When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You can be seated, and as you're being seated, bow with me and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day and this time. God, I pray that you would stir us up by your word and give us a foundation for understanding who you are and your purposes in our lives. Lord, that we might trust you and think first of what it is that you're doing as we face all manner of difficulties. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here's the focus tonight, guys. How many of you, by show of hands, think that there's never anything difficult that happens in life. Anybody think that? You say to me, no, we live in the real world. I've had probably difficult things happen already today, right? Have you ever known anybody that had some really bad thing happen to them? Something in their life, maybe they, someone they loved passed away. Maybe you just had a really bad day, or maybe you did really bad on a test you forgot to study for. Any number of things that someone would say, that was really bad. Have you ever seen anybody go through something bad and completely just lose their mind? They get so upset that they can't control themselves almost. They're so discouraged by what's happened that their whole life seems to be thrown out of order. And they're just completely discouraged. Well, tonight, we're going to be considering what Christian people did in the face of some really, really bad stuff. And hopefully give you something to hold on to as you face difficulties in life. For starters, who knows why bad things happen in the world? Any guesses? Sin, that's exactly right. That there's nothing bad that happens in the world apart from the reality of sin. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that when something bad happens to you, it's a result of your own sin. But it means that whenever sin entered the world in the beginning... When Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, that sin and death entered the world, and that everything bad that's happened since then is a result of the fact that sin has entered the world. And so you can pretty much guarantee that every bad thing that you experience is going to be the direct result of either your sin or somebody else's. And even if it's not your sin or somebody else's here today, for example, a hurricane or a tornado or some natural disaster... Those things would not exist apart from sin in the beginning. And in our text today, what's going on here is immediately following some pretty terrible sin of some religious people. 
What you have here, Peter and John, they performed a miracle. Jesus, through these guys, performed a miracle and they made a guy who'd been paralyzed his whole life able to walk. And he's praising God and they're coming under scrutiny for it. And then these religious leaders put them on trial, basically. They start questioning them and telling them, you're not allowed to teach or preach in Jesus' name anymore. You can't be talking about Jesus this way. And they say, well, we can't listen to you. We've got to share the truth about Jesus that we've been given by God. We've got to say these things. And then they beat them, send them on their merry way and say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Immediately, Peter and John go to the rest of the church at the time and they say, they tell them what happened. And that's where we picked up in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, what would you do if somebody was to come in here tonight, uh, someone your age perhaps, came in here and started telling you about how they just left school and all the teachers and all the authorities in school were giving them a really hard time for believing in Jesus and loving Jesus? Would your immediate, what would your immediate response be? Would your response be to gossip with them and say, oh man, those wicked teachers, they're so bad. What are we going to do to try to fix this or stop this? Notice what these Christian people do. It says in verse 24, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now here's the starting point. If you are going to be immovable whenever difficult things happen, you have to have a right understanding of who's in charge. How many times have you heard someone say, well, God's in charge? Have you heard that before? Whenever something very, very bad happens, people say, well, you know, God's in charge or God's in control. God knows what He's doing. It's easy to say that until you're the one suffering some very difficult, difficult situation of loss or hurt. How is it that you're going to be able to get through difficulty without responding by losing your mind or being cast into despair and sadness? What's going to be the rock that holds you up? These disciples, they say, Sovereign Lord. You see, when they say God is sovereign, when they say God is in control, that all things belong to God, they don't just mean that God's trying to make the best He can with the situation we're in. How do we know that? We'll continue reading. Verse 25. He says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So here's the picture. They're referring back to the Psalms, to Psalm 2, and recognizing God has prophesied that his anointed, his special holy servant, is going to be opposed. He's going to suffer at the hands of wicked people. They're recognizing God's sovereignty is not just that He tries to take something that happens in your life and make good out of it. They're recognizing God has a purpose in the bad thing that happened. The thing that happened that we saw was a bad thing, God actually appointed that thing, ordained that thing would happen for a good purpose. What was that good purpose? Continue reading. What is it that God appointed to happen? It says in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. What does that mean? 
What is that telling you about God? They're saying their prayer is, God, you're in control of everything. There's nothing that God is not in control of. They face awful circumstances where they're literally being beaten and threatened and being told, we're going to throw you in prison. We're going to kill you if you continue doing this. And their response is to say, this is not outside of God's purpose. God intended for this thing to happen. God has a good purpose in it. And they're appealing to this to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You know what they're talking about there? They're talking about Jesus Christ's crucifixion. Did you know that? It was God's plan that Jesus go to the cross. Okay? Now, the way that transpired is people, evil people, who hated Jesus, they sentenced Him. And then they hung Him on a cross and killed Him. But it was according to God's purpose. Here's the point. This is what these disciples are saying. They're saying, we're suffering right now. And they're recognizing God's in control of all things, including suffering. And here's their consolation. Here's their encouragement. If God predestined that Jesus would die on the cross which is the most evil thing that's ever happened in the history of man. And yet, at the same time, it's also the best thing that's ever happened in the history of man. Do you follow this? On the one hand, here's Jesus, God in the flesh, being crucified and rejected. You don't get worse than that whenever it comes to bad things. There's nothing worse than that. And at the same time, God, through Jesus' death on the cross, is saving His people. He's satisfying the justice that our sin deserved in Jesus. You have the worst thing and the best thing. These disciples are saying, okay, sovereign God who's in control of everything, you intended, you predestined that Jesus would die on the cross, and now here we are following Him, proclaiming Him. Why should we expect that God's purpose, His good purpose, does not include our own suffering? Why should we think that just because that happened to Jesus, that here we are, now all of a sudden we've got a magic key to avoid all difficulty and suffering. And not only that, notice what they pray. In light of all that, what would you expect these people to say? They said, God, you're in control of everything. There's nothing that you're not in control of. If you were praying to God and I told you you could ask for whatever you wanted, and I told you God has the power to grant anything your heart desires, and you're in a very difficult situation that's causing you to hurt, Do you think your prayer would be, God, deliver me from the pain I'm in? Do you think that would be your request? God, get rid of the pressure. Get rid of these people who are threatening my life. Probably a lot of us, that's how we would pray. Notice how these disciples pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? They don't pray, God, deliver us from the suffering. They don't pray, God, get all of this negative, bad, hard stuff away from us. They say, God, allow us to continue to do what you've told us to do. Let us be faithful to you, even though, (coughs) excuse me, even though we're being opposed and threatened. And in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their prayer is that God would uphold them as they were threatened, as they were beaten. Did you know that of the apostles of Jesus, that of the twelve, thirteen if you include Paul, who was an apostle born out of 
out of time. If you include all of these men, did you know of these men that all of them except one died a violent martyrdom? They were executed horrifically. Whether they were run through with the spear, had their head cut off, Peter's crucified upside down, they were stoned to death. Why? Because they proclaimed the name of Jesus. Has anyone ever told you that if you follow after Jesus, it's going to make your life on earth now better? A lot of people think this. A lot of people think to follow Jesus means that everything's going to be better. Well, his closest followers all died horrific deaths for following him and for being faithful to him. And only one, John, John wasn't executed the way the others were. But listen to what happened to John. John, they took him and they poured scalding hot tar over his whole body. Okay, that, that's likely to kill you. Somehow, John survived that. He didn't die from the hot tar, and so they exiled him to an island called Patmos. And that's where God used him to write the book of Revelation. And so here's the picture. All of, God's, all of Christ's closest followers suffer this way. Their prayer is, God, help me be faithful as I'm opposed. In verse 31, here's the answer to their prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now, that sounds really cool, doesn't it? To see their people who, who love God so much they're willing to suffer anything and go on trusting God and proclaiming truth as they suffer. That sounds great. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? How does that impact my life here and now, whether in high school or with my family, my friends, as I grow up, how's this going to affect me? How many of you, if you're, I would be honest enough to admit that you've had things happen in your life that weren't what you wanted, and you respond in that moment whenever you're upset with anger? Show of hands, how many of you have ever gotten angry in a moment about something that happened? You've responded with an outburst, and even if you didn't say anything, you're disturbed inside. You're really bothered about something. How, what is going to be the lens through which you view your life? How are you going to see and interpret God's providence in your life? The Scripture we considered in the other portion here this evening was Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together to, for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, that they be conformed to the image of His Son. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. And we see this pattern. Here's my question. How is it you're going to be able to see that God has a good purpose in what you're doing? Was it good that Jesus went to the cross and died? Was that a good thing? I mean, we're Christians. We, we have crosses. Many wear crosses around their neck. We celebrate an execution. Why do we do that? Why do we celebrate somebody's death? Well, the answer is because all of us recognize the Bible teaches that we deserve to die. That our sin demanded our death and execution under God's wrath. The eternal death in hell. We, we deserve that. And Jesus bore that for us, so we rejoice in that. So, at the, as I said, God's purpose, His good purpose, included suffering and death. And yet, it produces glory and salvation for us. I'll give you an example of this. And I'm hoping you guys are listening to this and you're prepared, you're equipped. The next time you have something happen in your life, whether somebody does something 
wrong to you or whether just something happens, a car breaks down, you have a flat tire, something happens and you're tempted to respond with frustration and to respond in your emotions and in your flesh. Consider this. This is from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just listen to this. Paul says, beginning in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now now think about that. Paul's saying that I was given a thorn. It was given to me. A thorn was given to me. And this thorn he calls a messenger of Satan. So on the one hand, God's given him something that he calls a gift from God, and we'll see that. And at the same time, Satan's involved. Enemies of God are doing things to him, and Paul says it's a gift from God. Continue reading. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever asked God to deliver you from something that was happening to you that you didn't like? Have you ever asked God, to, have you ever, ever noticed something? You've asked God and said, Lord, I, I really need for this to go away. Paul did that three times. Verse 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the point. Were these disciples in Acts 4, were they facing hardship? Were they facing persecution? Were they facing difficulty? Yeah, they were. They really were. And yet, they had a confidence that God really is in control. And you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like. You may think, well, I'm a young person. What does maturity have to do with me? I'm going to tell you that there is no restriction on you. There's no reason why you can't be mature in your understanding of God. And maturity as a Christian looks like this. To be able to look at some degree of suffering and difficulty and to be able to stop immediately and say, my God is doing something in this and I can trust Him. I'm not sure what he's doing. I don't know why this is happening to me. People have such a skewed understanding of what it means to be blessed by God. And as I move to kind of wrap up our thoughts, I'll give you this this little illustration. If I were to take one person and I were to say that they went to school, they got perfect grades, they hardly had to try. We all know somebody like that. I had a lot of classmates that despised me for being able to sleep through class and still get straight A's. You know somebody who it all comes really easy to. And that say that person that goes real easy for them, perhaps they're a really talented actor or a really talented musician or a really talented athlete, and they succeed in life. And everything they do, they seem to do well at. Let's suppose they get out of school and they go on to college. They continue succeeding in college. And let's say they're good enough to go on to a professional career, whether in acting or in music or as a, in a sport. And they make millions and millions of dollars. And everybody that sees them loves them. They've got all life has to give. You might say, man, that person has a really blessed life. You take somebody else, they struggle. Everything they ever do in school is hard. They've got to work harder than anybody else to to even just pass the class. 
and they try out for the sports team and they fail because they're just terrible. They're not athletic. And then they try out for the drama team and, well, they're not any good at that either. So they're not on the drama team. Maybe they get to pretend to be a tree in the play. And then you look and they try out for music and they sound like me when they sing, just nails on a chalkboard. They haven't succeeded at anything. They barely finish school and they go and work a regular labor job and they have a miserable life. Now take these two pictures in your mind and imagine the one that's really succeeded. They've got life by the horns. They've got a hold of it. They're really doing well and we say that person is blessed by God. But in light of all their blessings that we would call or riches or success, they don't see any need for God at all. They just enjoy the things God's given without paying a second thought to thank God or love Him. They think, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I've accomplished a great deal for myself. Does that sound like a blessing to you? Someone who grows arrogant because of all they're able to acquire for themselves and they don't see their need for God? Let's take this other person who's failed again and again and again and they feel like nothing but a failure. And finally, they get to the point where they're so hopeless because they can't do anything for themselves that they recognize, I need someone outside of me. And they begin to see their own sin. And how they've failed and they've sinned against God Himself. And in desperation, they cast themselves at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, save me, forgive me. And their weakness and their pain and their suffering brings them to a place to call out upon God. You tell me which one of those two people is blessed. The one who comes to know God truly as they see their own failure and inability. Now don't misunderstand me. Just because you do well or succeed in any field, and I pray all of you do succeed in your chosen paths, but just because you succeed doesn't mean you can't know God. Here's the point of being able to recognize God's purpose, God's providence in your life that's guiding everything that happens to you. And if you're one of His, everything in your life is as though God were saying to you, look unto Me. Look at Me and be saved all ends of the earth. Look unto Christ. So here's my question for you in closing. How are you going to interpret your life? How are you going to see the things that happen to you? Especially the negative and hard things. Are you going to stop and say, what is God doing here? How is God leading and directing me? God is not off of His throne. He hasn't neglected His authority and His sovereignty. He must be doing something. And that text from Romans tells us, if you're one of His, everything is working together for your good to conform you to the image of His Son. And you know what happens? John tells us in chapter 15 this, that God is a good Father and He prunes every one of His children. You know what pruning means? Pruning is when you take a tree or some fruit-yielding plant and you want it to produce fruit. Well, guess what? If you have a tree or some other fruit-yielding plant that has too many branches on it, all those branches absorb water and nutrients and so it can't yield very much fruit. And the weight of the, that fruit that is produced is weighting that thing down. To prune something means you cut parts off of it so that it can bear fruit that it's meant to bear. God says to you, if you're His, the good He promises you is to produce fruit in you. To cause you to produce fruit for His glory. And the final charge I give you tonight is this. Are you prepared 
to see God's hand in everything that you do. The Christian is one who sees both good and, 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 and success as God's providence in your life that, that causes you to thank God for the goodness that He's done. And the Christian is also one that sees hardship and pain and real suffering and says, my God is good and He's sovereign and He's doing something good for me in my life. And so... I pray that that would encourage you and stay with you. And that you not soon forget who the Lord has revealed Himself to be. So with that, I'll ask you to bow with me and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your Word. I praise You for who You are. I ask that these things would continue in our minds, that we would not soon forget that You cause all things to work together for our good, to conform us to the image of Your Son, And Lord, that we might slow down in the moment of difficulty when we don't know what's going on or why. And that we might stop and be still and know that You are God and cast ourselves upon You and trust Your good purpose. In Jesus' name, Amen.